did some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. <laughs> I just thought I would start it off kind of low. Hey, if your family or friends can't watch Heart of the Matter, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it live streaming video. Usually it's kind of broken up, but they can hear the audio, so it'd be great. You can also watch any of the old shows. We've got more than 140 on there, hour long. And uh, just go to hotm.tv to watch those. Check it out. What's happening Friday night, December 5th from 7 to 9 p.m.? What is it? What? Tell me. What is it? It's the second annual Christmas open house here at KTMW TV 20 on 314 South Redwood Road. Uh, everybody is welcome, food, fun, and a thank you for your viewership. All the uh, show hosts will be here on their sets. We decorate, we have food, we have drinks, we have music, we have giveaways, and we would love to have you. That's December 5th, Friday, from 7 to 9 p.m. Visited an LDS funeral last week. The deceased was the mother of a childhood friend. She was really a great lady. I loved her. And uh, my friend's uncle stood up to speak. He was the main guy. He came from Idaho, I believe. And uh, I listened intently to what he had to say. He was a distinguished-looking, well-dressed man and polished. And after 25 minutes, I wrote on the program that bore the picture of my friend's deceased mother, quote, what a sad display it is when a man, gray to the scalp and dressed so fine, can stand at a pulpit of a church and talk and talk and talk and talk and say absolutely nothing, especially relative to God and Jesus Christ. There's Mormonism for you. Sorry, but it's true. It seems there is a book creating no small stir in the beautiful Cache Valley of northern Utah. It's a life-after-death experience of an LDS woman named Kim, and I've been told by reliable sources that many of the LDS people in the Cache Valley and their arounds are all thither about this, this important book. Well, some dear friends passed a copy of this account, uh, uh, Beyond the Grave Report, to me. And uh, I'm always highly suspect of anyone, Christian or LDS, that provide the world with uh, an explanation of what happens beyond the grave. First of all, it seems like God didn't think that all these vital details were necessary to include them in the Bible, but they somehow have the call to come and tell us exactly what happens after life or death, whether it be heaven or hell. I could be wrong on that, but that's just the way I think. And then most people in, their, in these books claim that God tells them it's their special mission to tell the world what they can expect when the bell tolls. 
uh, as God's special messenger, and then they sell the book to us at a high retail price. You'd think that they would give it to you, you know, or to, uh, apply it, supply it electronically if God wants you to have that message, particularly from his mouth to your ear. But enough from that. I want to read to you really quickly what this LDS woman says she saw. Now, it, it's a full book of things she saw, but this is through chapter 12 called A Walk Through Heaven's Veil. And she's escorted by this guide, and she moved around different places. And then she said, in the distance I saw a city. I desired to turn and go to it, but the messenger conveyed that it was a lesser city, one that would not be, we would not be stopping. The buildings seemed to have a grayish hue to them. It impressed me as very earth-like in nature, though it seemed to shine in a way that I had not seen in any earthly city. This intrigued me. My guide did not stop to answer questions, but continued forward with a sense of purpose and direction. He led me to the outskirts of another city that seemed brighter than the first. We did not stop at that one either. We continued on to a city that was the brightest of them all. I desired to enter it and instantly found that we were standing in the middle of it. It was breathtaking. Angels dressed in white robes passed nearby. I noticed them talking and exchanging pleasantries one with another. I wanted to stop and chat with him, but my guide motioned me forward. I agreed because I had no concerns or worries. I felt vibrant and free, like dancing and singing, shouting for joy, a wonderful place. The streets were awe-inspiring. They were this new place she came to. They were paved with shining, sparkling gold. My curiosity was aroused when I observed that no one seemed to notice this beautiful sight. I inquisitively wondered why no one was digging the gold up and taking it home in containers. The buildings were an exquisite white with that appeared to be diamonds in the mortar. Once again, I wondered why no one was chipping the gems from the walls. They were brilliant and they made me want to touch them. Unimpressed, my guide was still in a hurry. I followed his lead submissively, still reflecting on the golden diamonds. Next, he led me to a large building. I caught a close-up view of the corner. The brilliance of the gems sparkled as their luster reflected the ever-present life of the sphere. We went inside the building where I saw a dimly lit staircase. I wondered at the darkness of it, having just come from the realm, it was filled with so much light and beauty. However, peaceful feelings still encompassed me. I was curious as to where he was taking me. We continued through a long corridor with doors on each side. Reaching a door at the opposite end of the hall, it opened it up and he mentioned motion for me to enter. I did so with feelings of apprehension. To my surprise and delight, I saw a classroom filled with light and at the front of the room stood Jesus no. God? No. Joseph Smith, a prophet like Moses and Noah, who in the 1800s restored the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness. There he was teaching a group of people. Seeing me enter, he stopped his lecture and walked to more, toward me with his big blue eyes and gregarious smile. With outstretched arms, he took me to himself and gave me the best hug I have ever experienced. It felt as though every cell in my body had been touched with warmth and light and love. I felt as if he knew me. I wondered how he might know me with so many billions of souls who had lived on this earth. It wasn't until later that I learned that we were actually distant cousins. So that was one excerpt from the book that's caused everything. And really quickly, another one called A Mother's Love, Chapter 14. What it was was this woman runs into Mother in Heaven. She says, she was beautiful. Words cannot describe the sanctity and love that I felt in her presence. Not her mother in heaven, 
mother in heaven, one of mothers in heaven, God's wife or wives, depending on what history you read. She was about my height. If you want to know what mother in heaven looks like, she was about her height, five foot six with a petite frame. I immediately noted her smooth, satiny, silky hands that were delicate and poised. They were very youthful, yet emanated an aura of the ages, ancient wisdom, time, and experience. I marvel at how she could look so young and yet be so wise. Most other mothers I knew that carried such great wisdom were wrinkled and weathered with time. She wore an elegant white gown that looked like a princess's dress, and it, fill, it, it was fitted at the bodice with a full cascading skirt that shimmered from tiny gold flecks woven in the fabric. Around her waist was an unusual belt. Her hair was long and full. I expected it to be white, and yet it was a striking reddish silver with strands of blonde. It seemed the most unique and beautiful color I had ever seen. It curled in waves down to her waist. Her dainty and delicate features made her look like a porcelain doll. A feeling of warmth, love, humor, and gentility attended her. Such a lady, I thought. So there you have um, the insider view from an LDS of what you can possibly expect from her account when you die and go to the other side. Now, I know this is not an LDS-sanctioned work, but that makes it even better because in many ways it reveals the grassroots heart of a member. However she had this experience, it's Jesus, it's Joseph before Jesus, it's classrooms of teaching and continued progression at the hands of Joseph, it's him embracing the women with big blue eyes, it's mother in heaven, physically appealing, small, doll-like, with long hair down to her waist, dressed to the nines, wise but withered, such a lady, God help us all. Nothing biblical in the accounts whatsoever. After last week's show, part four of the Word of Wisdom, I received quite a few letters and emails from people, LDS and Christian, who just don't seem to get it. For starters, I do not advocate smoking, using tobacco products, drinking alcohol, taking illegal drugs in any way, shape, or form. I do not re recommend these choices to teenagers, as some of you had inferred, or to children. I detest what these substances do to people. In this day and age, a person would have to be stark staring mad to think that it's a good thing to abuse drugs or alcohol or to use tobacco products or to think that God would want them to be involved in such behaviors. This was never my intention. My message was related to salvation, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to religious people and the practices that they will condone or condemn in his name. So while I fully support clean living, I would never berate or question an individual standing before God because they have had struggles or continue to struggle with or even use some of those substances. This is just another instance where people love to draw the lines to separate us out. It's kind of part of human nature. There's a lot of ridiculous lines that people like to draw. Debates over if you've spoken in tongues or if you haven't spoken in tongues. Once saved, always saved. Grace and works. Who can speak, teach, and preach Jesus' name? Good Christians get divided on what clean living is, what wholesome dress is, what good grooming standards are. Mormons are all uh, uh, a bustle about that. We have all kinds of us versus them debates. Whose church is the best? What Bible version must be used in order for you to understand who God is? Pre-trib, post-trib, no-trib. Uh, creationism, evolutionism, uh, intelligent designism, all this stuff, where does it end? Where does it end? It ends in a new life and a new heart and new love through Jesus Christ. 
it, peace through him and love through him. You can never, ever go wrong loving others too much, but we can go so woefully wrong in uh, assigning different uh, characteristics of damnation and condemnation to people because of these little minor uh, squibbles that we have. However, this being said, I also get the standard LDS complaint that I lack complete love for them and that I have no understanding for them and that Jesus is, is not in me whatsoever because I attack them. There are four major complaints that they give me. They are Jesus would never pick on another church. That's one. We love everyone. Why can't you? That's two. Um, I never hear you picking on Jews or Muslims or uh, Buddhists or the like. That's three. And finally, the claim, we are Christian. Those are the four major complaints co constantly get. First, Jesus would never pick on another people, person's belief or faith. Do you really believe this? I mean, do you really truly believe this statement when you make it? Have you ever read the Bible? I mean, it just blows me away that you guys use this as a mantra to me in your emails. Jesus would never, Jesus would never. Jesus constantly, constantly he was on people. He warns us about them. He calls those people deaf and blind and dumb and that they have fat hearts. He says that their father is Satan. All right? He, he calls them fools. He says they're a generation of vipers. Jesus, who you call, LDS call, the God of the Old Testament, had women and children killed, murdered because of their belief. Okay? You say Jesus would never? Jesus constantly came. He said, I came to bring a sword that husbands and, and families are going to divide because of me. You have the wrong idea. Somehow you've packaged this little saying, Jesus would never, and you apply it to anybody who disagrees with you and try to make you feel guilty for standing up with the word teaches, okay? The next one, we Mormons love everyone. Uh, why can't you? Uh, you love everyone? Is that really true? Well, have you ever taken a public stance against any people group in the history of your church? Let's go back to the beginning. First, Mormonism publicly denounced all Christian religions and denominations, said they were abominable, said they were of the devil. You even had a Protestant minister in the temple films when I was going represent Protestantism as a whole as being in the employment of Satan, okay? So don't act all lovey-dovey like you've never pick on anybody. Uh, let's move forward. Um, Mormonism publicly refused to allow black people to hold a priesthood that you have to hold in order to get to live with God after this life. Okay, they publicly until 1976 or 78 or 76 said, you cannot have this priesthood, black people. You can't. They've never picked on a people group. Uh, just recently, uh, and, and as far as misogynistic approaches, if you look at Mormonism relative to women, there's a, there's a whole plethora of things you could look at there and say, wow, I can't believe they've said that. And then recently, the Mormon, Mormonism took another public stance against a people group. So if you're going to accuse me of, of not being loving and open to all people like you are, look at the facts. You might want to look to see if you're guilty of something before you accuse me of it. And then there's that I never hear you pick on Jews or Muslims or these other faiths. Just on us. Why just on us? I never hear the Jews or uh, Islam or Buddhas, Buddhists or Hindus claiming to be Christian. Never. I'm not out against people having different beliefs than mine at all. Um, I love and embrace people of all faiths, believe it or not, and I actually hang out with them. 
I have friends, even though Christians tell me I can't, who do not believe like I believe, who do not receive Jesus like I do. They are people I love, okay? But if you claim and you publish and have missionaries push the idea that you are what I am, I'm gonna fight you tooth and nail. How dare you claim that you are Christian and walk around and promote this in your media and your speeches and tell people that and, and, and include what you believe in with what Christians have fought and died for for centuries. How dare you do that? It would be like a man coming to your hometown and raping people and murdering and stealing and then telling everybody he was your brother. Okay? And, and he, he, he goes and he tells people, well, I'm Sean McCraney's brother. And, and you, would you just sit there and say, yeah, yeah, we're all brothers. He's my brother. You know, that, that child rapist, yeah, we're, we're brothers. Would you stand up and fight against the lie? Of course you would. If not for yourself, you'd do it just for your parents' sake because they, they want to keep some type of, of decorum in their family. No, but this is the same thing. When Mormonism tells the world that it's Christian, it's telling the world that we are brothers, spiritually brothers. That means we are akin in the same beliefs. That's just not true and you have no right to do it. Mormonism is not related to Bible-believing people, spiritually, not at all. When you stop claiming to be Christian, I'll stop attacking the Mormon church. I've said it before, Thomas Monson, stand up and say, we're not Christian. I'll, we'll stop the show. I'll say, bravo, he said it, he's their prophet, it's over. But until that, forget it. Then there's the final one that's closely related to what I just talked to, and it says, we are Christian too. You know, Mormonism is very much like every special interest group. You want to be separate, but you want to be included. You want to be accepted, but you want to reject whoever you want to reject. You want, to, uh, compl you want complete respect from everybody from all around, and yet you want to disrespect certain people at the same time. You are like a, 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 the most nitpicky, spoiled special interest group around and you use it against uh, other faiths that call you on your doctrines um you think you have the right as like any special interest group to go around and say that we're christian and when you say that it makes christians then have to say well if they are then we would believe in a pre-existence and we accept joseph smith and we accept polygamy and temple rites and rituals and all this books of scripture and on and on and on let me ask you a question what do you suppose would happen if I announced on the show tonight that starting next week in Salt Lake City, we're starting a church, and the name of it is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yay! Everybody come! We're going to call ourselves Mormons! We don't believe in the Book of Mormon. We don't believe in this or that, but that's what we are. How would you like that? Let me tell you something. We have more lawyers on our doorstep tomorrow morning than Washington, D.C. has on any given week. Your church would come after us Everything they've got, guns a-blazing. They wouldn't even let a little coffee shop use the Angel Moroni on something as a joke. They came in with their legal forces to stop that. They've sued the San Sandra Tanner. They've sued uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministries. They will use their legal uh, rights to stop anybody from associating with their proprietary intellectual rights and properties. But my goodness, they can go around and say, we're Christian, we're Christian all they want. Special interest crud. Mormonism is not Christian. For Mormonism to be Christian, uh, 
There may be Mormons who are Christian, but Mormonism is light years away from biblical Christianity. Finally, for several weeks now, we've mentioned something about politics and religion. Well, the developments just do not stop. A good friend of mine, AAA from Southern California, sent me an interesting copy of a press release from one Bill Marriott of the Ho Marriott Hotel Corporation. This is, this is a landmark press release, in my opinion. Many of you are familiar with the Marriott name and its association with Mormonism, including their helping fund, if not completely funding, the Marriott Center on the campus of B.Y. Brigham Young University, a Mormon university. Well, it seems old Marriott felt the need to speak against his religion's stand against same-sex marriage in California. Listen to what he said. As many of you know, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Some might conclude, given my family's membership in the Mormon church, that our company supported the recent ballot initiative to ban same-sex marriage in California. This is simply untrue. Marriott International is a public company headquartered in Bethesda, Maryland, and is not controlled by any one individual or family. Neither I, okay, so he lets you know, neither I nor the company contributed to the campaign to pass Proposition 8. So he separates his faith from his own actions and from the actions of the corporation. But then, listen to how he starts the next line. The Bible that I love, so he uses a religious uh, uh, reference and resource to now say, teaches me about honesty, integrity, and unconditional love for all people. But beyond that, I am very careful about separating my personal faith and beliefs from how we run our business. Listen to what he says here. I am personally motivated to speak now because merit was built on the basic principles of respect and inclusion. My father, who founded this company along with my mother, told everyone who would listen, take care, quote, take care of your employees and they'll take care of your customers who will come back again and again, end quote. For more than 80 years, our company has grown and changed, but the basic principles still hold up. We embrace all people as customers, associates, owners, and franchisees, regardless of race, sex, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Our principle is backed up with a diversity policy, which we established more than 20 years ago. Our board of directors has also focused on this priority and helped us be a leader and a better company. We are among the first in our industry to offer domestic partner benefits, and we've earned a perfect 100% score with the Human Rights Campaign Corporate Equity Index for two years in a row. Many of our hotels have hand-hosted LGBT, I didn't have time to look it up, but I have a feeling it has to do with gay and lesbian something, community functions and events for years. I am very proud of all of our associates at Marriott, and I want all of our associates and guests who we welcome into our hotels to know that we embrace your talents and thank you for your many contributions and your businesses. I'm Bill Marriott. Thanks for helping keep Marriott on the move. So uh, I have a few questions really quickly before we go to uh, a break. What do you think about that? Call us and tell us what your thoughts are on that. Secondly, I want to know if a regular old Joe down in Southern California, Northern California, stood out publicly against the LDS church. Regular old LDS member stood out and said he supports Prop 8. I wonder if the powers that be would have excommunicated or disfellowshipped him for that stance. If not, I'll bet he will never become a leader in the church. Secondly, I want to know if the LDS, why the LDS Church allows the Marriott Corporation to even do the business that they do as members of the church. They are the largest public supplier of pornography in the world of hoteliers. 
not to mention the business they do that is in direct conflict with their word of wisdom. I mean, if little old stake president in Panguitch, Utah, opened up a bar or sold pornography in a shop, they would be in there and slap that guy down and excommunicate him quicker than anything. The inconsistencies are so profound in this organization, and yet in the name of keeping peace and keeping your head buried in the sand, you active members continue to permit disconnects like this to exist. My good friend, I consider him a good friend, LDS writer Grant Palmer wrote an excellent and factual book about Mormon history with excellent insights, and Grant loves the LDS church and they held a court on him for writing a book that was factual. They disfellowshipped the guy, okay? Old Marriott provides porn and alcohol to anyone who will pay for it, and now he takes a public stance against a church-sanctioned political action, and they're not gonna do a dang thing about it. Why? You know why, don't ya? Yeah, but go ahead, bury your head, change the channel, say that I'm evil, say that I'm just full of venom against the church. Man, I just want you to see it for what it is, all right? With that, let me open up the phone lines, but we're going to go to a break. How much time do we have? Um, we got three more minutes. Let's have a prayer. The phone line numbers are 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Have a question or a comment or uh, something you want to share, or uh, anything. You, if you're LDS, we would love to hear from you. Keep your TVs turned down, and uh, let's have a prayer, and then I'll talk for a second, we'll go to the break. Lord, we need you to open our eyes. We need you to open our hearts and our minds and help us to see your truth. The war for truth and for position in this world is getting very, very tenuous. We need you and ask you to give us truth. There are people who are seeking truth from their homes, maybe here in the audience. We don't know. But Lord, give them the truth that they seek and help them to see the light of day, even your son Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say that tonight, Jesus Christ is not an organization. He's a living God. He is a personal being who feels our pain and our grief in our joy. It is Jesus. It's not a religious organization or a religion that promotes or teaches or uses Jesus who offered himself as a gift to us that we can trust and believe in. It's not a church. Religion is something to believe in and it gives us something to do. It, is, it includes believing and talking about God. It includes religious services and taking advantage of courses and teachings that are offered there. It includes receiving rituals and rites that different churches believe in. Religion is usually connected to ceremony in one way or another. You almost can't help it. In the, in the uh, weekly services we have here in Utah, we fight almost daily to stay away from just becoming this rote machine because it becomes so simple to do that because it makes it easier for us to get our way and to, and to make the people go along with it instead of keeping it open for what the Lord wants to do. Religion can make fasting and praying, giving money to the poor, memorizing scripture, perfunctory. They can become actions that have meaning, uh, that are meaningless or actions that lose their true meaning. The Pharisees were scripture-loving, conservative, well-dressed, spiritual people who lived their religion, but 
they did they were so religious they didn't even recognize the messiah the true and living God. And in fact, they hated him because he had a relationship with God and he refused the religious trappings that they wanted everybody to embrace. There are a number of ways that religions fail us as human beings. When we come back from the break, I'm gonna cover them. First, religions cannot change the human heart. They never have been able to. Second, um, religion makes a whole lot of something out of a whole lot of nothing. Third, religion makes hypocrites of us all. Fourth, religion uh, makes life harder generally, not easier the way the Lord does. And fifth, religion makes it very, very easy to deceive ourselves. We're going to watch when we come back after we talk about those things, a great three-minute video. You've got to stay tuned to see because it blew my mind. All right? So we'll see you when we come back after the break. Hey, I'm back, and so are you. All right, firstly, religion cannot cause a change in the human heart. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he wanted to know what uh, he needed to do be, to be right with God. And Jesus told him you have to be born again, meaning outward religions are never, ever going to be able to change you. Unless you're born again, you've given a new heart. It's all meaningless. To the Pharisees, Jesus said, you guys make the outside of your dishes really sparkly and clean and nice, but the inside is full of corruption. He said, outwardly, you're like whited sepulchers, really shiny and bright, but inwardly, you're full of dead, dried bones. That's religion demands compliance. It can't help it. It needs compliance in order to grow and survive and be popular. For some re reason in religion, outward appearance is important and it becomes sort of like spiritual pornography. And let me help make this point. I was in Huntington Beach not long ago, maybe two or three months ago, and I heard some people talking and they said there's some Playboy uh, girls that are down by the water. And uh, so when these women came up from the waves, they didn't look how a, you would think a Playboy model would look. Not that I would know, and, but, uh, and not that I looked. I was just listening. I kept my eyes closed. Just kidding. But anyway, they had normal sagging bodies, and one of them had very bad acne along her jaw, and um, the other one had a, a, a nice hefty amount of cellulite on her button legs, just to say it how it is, like women normally do. You know, and I heard one guy say to his friend, they don't look much like any like they do in the pictures, do they? And that's the point. Religion takes people and it paints us up and it airbrushes out our flaws and it dresses us in impressive attire and it gets us to present ourselves in unrealistic terms, just like pornography can do. And 
religion forces a proper language upon us and, and acceptable attitudes and a standard that everybody has to strive to embody to be accepted and embraced or if they want to climb the ladder of the religious uh, rule. Now, religion seeks to please men almost all the time. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees, all their works they do to be seen of men. All right? A religion with, or a relationship with Jesus can't be feigned. You can't pretend that. You can't go to Jesus airbrushed. He sees your heart. He knows what you're about. So when you have the relationship, it's it's there and it's real and it's as genuine as you can get with anybody because you're speaking to your creator. Religion is almost in opposition to that and can become very, very dangerous to people in their walk, okay? So there's no makeup, no false eyelashes, no hiding your big fat gut from God. You know, there is just you naked there in front of your maker and communicating with him. That's what he wants with us. That's what he seeks with you. If you don't have it, if you're using religion to kind of trick yourself into thinking that you're right with him, you're a fool. You're just a fool. Trust me, I've been there. Second religion makes a whole lot of nothing out of, a whole lot of something out of nothing. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know, you pay uh, uh, tithe on mint and rue and all sorts of herbs, but you pass by justice and you pass by the love of God. Why is so important to God? Why is far more important to God than what? You know, um, religion always asks the what's. What have you done? What uh, didn't you do? Jesus asks, why did you do the what? Why do you do the what? Supporting uh, this idea, Paul wrote, quote, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give all my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is the why. The giving of the poor is the what and all that. But if you don't have the love, you've got nothing. That's religion. Religion makes hypocrites of us all. How can I say this? When you present yourself one way to people because you want them to see you in a light that may not be really genuine, and then behind the scenes you present yourself in another way, that's called hypocrisy. Now, when I was a Latter-day Saint, I was a great hypocrite because I hated when either myself or my children were revealed, especially at church. I wanted the people at church to see me as perfect, to see me as everything right, that I was able to live the gospel. This was so important, this image, looking good and appearing worthy and seeming like we were obedient, uh, that we were so obedient. Um, and that's just not what God wants. M. Scott Peck, in a book called People of the Lie, talks about the ultimate evil in people, and he says the ultimate evil in people never wants to be discovered. It does anything it can to hide from being uh, ferreted out and shown. And so he says the people who are in prisons typically aren't the most evil creatures in the world. They're just the ones who are impetuous, maybe sometimes too dumb, and they get caught. But he says in his studies, and he's a Christian, that he finds the most evil people in the world hiding in churches. Because you're there and everybody perceives you outwardly in these terms of being so great. And yet inwardly, you could be the, one of the most heinous evil people on earth. I'm not saying that the churches are full of evil people. Well, they are in a sense. But I mean, what I'm talking about is, you know, you just have to be careful about the hypocrisy that can slip in. And, uh, and that fourth religion makes life harder. That's because any fool can make a rule and any leader can talk like Peter. And you can, you can make all kinds of things and it makes life more and more difficult because it knows, religion knows, it can't change your heart. It doesn't have the tools to. So all it can do is change your outward ways. 
And so it makes your life harder so that you appear nicer and better to everybody else while your inward ways is tough. Re one final point on this. Religions are very, very, very good at making up, enforcing, and reminding people of their standards and their rules, but they are horrible and they are terrible at loving and accepting people who can't follow those rules. That's religion. Jesus was just the opposite. He was just the opposite because he was the standard completely and totally for us because we couldn't live up to the standard for ourselves. And religion makes it very, very de to deceive ourselves. And with that, I'm not going to go into it because I think it's apparent what I discovered. But we got to end with this. People always want to know. You know, I attend church, I sing praise, I read the Bible, but I really don't know what this relationship means. What does the relationship really mean? How can I have this thing? And so I, someone showed me this video and you've got to watch it. It's a pastor who has passed away and they put his sermon, the end of his sermon, to music and images. Listen to this thing. It's going to blow your mind. You want to know what a relationship with Jesus is like? It is embodied, I believe, in this video. So let's watch it. Then we'll go to the The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter.
I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. And amen. That's my king too. And is it yours? Are you hearing that message or any semblance of that message when you go to your meetings? Are you hearing him? Is he calling you? Are you listening? Just listen to the tenor of that message. I mean, he's calling to everyone more and more and more in these days. Go to him tonight on your knees and ask him. Say, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. Put Mormonism aside. Put your religion aside, whatever it is. Whatever it is. If you don't know him like that man knows him and described him, go and find him and he'll answer. We're going to the phone. We're going to Mark and Draper on line one and then we're going coming back and talking to John O'Fallon who's returned from Illinois. Mr. Mark, you're on the air. Oh, hi, John. Hi. And um, your voice really needs to be heard, so I'm glad that you're on air. Um, I just wanted to comment on something that you were talking about earlier, about uh, relationship versus religion. Yeah. And uh, something that always bothered me uh, that uh, missionaries say is that Joseph Smith asked God which church that he should join, and God had told him none of them. And it kind of sets up the premise that just because there's different denominations out there, uh, kind of sets up the premise or, or that we're all at odds against one another, or all the churches are at odds against one another just because we're different denominations, which isn't really true. No. Um, you know, we, we're, we're united in that uh, we believe in Jesus Christ and we follow him, the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And it just, it just comes off, uh, it just comes off uh, looking like all the religions, uh, just because they're different, or all the denominations, just because they're different denominations, that we're at odds together, and we're all fighting over trying to be the one true church, which really just isn't true. And that's, you know, that's all I really wanted. Yeah, to that's say. a really good point, Mark, because it does present the package as if it just presents the assumption that there is a true church when they right. say that. And then you're so right. I mean, there's people of so many different walks and faiths and approaches to the Lord that it does, they all agree on the core issues. And it, that's a great message. I really appreciate it. Sure. And I just wanted to say we're all brothers and sisters in Christ that believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible and follow him. Yes, so, we are. We're all united in that aspect. So, so we're not divided um, like you know, some missionaries would like others to believe. Amen. Thanks so much, my brother. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We are going to John O'Fallon and line four. Mr. John, how are you? I'm doing good, Sean. It's been a while. We've missed you. Where you been? I've been listening. I just uh, had a little bit of trouble with my local leaders for calling your show, but I don't want to talk about it. It's not why I called. Hey, I've been, I've been listening 
to your show the last few weeks, and you've been mocking the word of wisdom. And I'm here to tell you, Sean, that I have a testimony of the word of wisdom, and I've lived its principles, and it's worked in my life. And I'm in better shape than most non-members that I know. And even my wife will tell you that I'm in the best shape of anybody she's ever known. God, you're killing me. You are killing me, man. If you're real, I, I, they can write me and tell me you're not real. I think you are, but if you are, you are the biggest piece of work I've ever met in my life. And I mean that in a good way. I, you just blow my mind with the things you say, John. Well, Look, John, my comments on the word of wisdom were not against the wisdom of the, of the advice at all. My thing is on the word of wisdom is used today as a measure of whether somebody can know God or not after this life. Because it's a you... measure of our righteousness, Sean. If we're, if we're keeping the commandments and following the words of the prophets, and it's a measure of whether we're keeping the commandments of God and willing to be obedient to Him. Okay, uh, so uh, are you, do you follow the word of wisdom, John? Yes, I do. Okay, do I you... know you don't, though. I can tell by just looking at you. What do I, what do I break? Well, I'm not Let's do a test. I'm kind of curious because I, I obviously I'm not going to follow. But tell me what you think I don't follow. Uh, I, I'm not going to say, Sean. You, you no know doobage? Nope. Don't smoke the doobage. Cigarettes? Nope. Don't do cigarettes. Alcohol? Nope. Don't drink alcohol. I'll admit it. I like to eat meat. Do uh, you eat meat, John? I do on occasion, yes. Sparingly, then. Only in times of season, in times of famine, right? No, I eat it more than that. John, that's... you are not obeying the word of wisdom, my brother. No, that's your interpretation, oh, Of course it is. Hey, is it all right for me to drink mild barley drinks, John? Yeah. Which would be beer? No, not alcohol. You know that, Sean. All right, so what else are we going to say tonight? Besides you, the, the word of wisdom, I think the word of wisdom is good advice. I made that plain and clear. Uh, your, that, your argument tonight on that one's not very good. You got anything else? Well, the other thing on the Word of Wisdom, too, Sean, you're saying that Joseph Smith didn't follow it, and he did follow the Word of Wisdom. He didn't drink. Okay, I know what you were saying, that he had a bar in his house, and he drank the night before he died. That, that is not true. That is all, that's all this anti-Mormon conjecture. Oh, my goodness, John. You're really, really proving yourself foolish tonight. I mean, it's in your history of the Church. It's not conjecture. It is fact. He drank a beer at Mosser's, he wrote it. He drank wine with a woman who later became his wife. He uh, had a bar in his house, so maybe he didn't drink that. That can happen. And he drank wine to lift their spirits the night he died, or the day he died. Come on. How do you know it wasn't grape juice, Sean? Well, does grape juice lift your spirits? It could. <laughs> I love you, man. I don't, you know, I. it's just... It's a reasonable approach, John. It's just reasonable. You bring in irrational approaches. I'm just trying to say, I think it's reasonable that went on the last day, but we know he drank beer, and we know that he drank a wine that was brought from England, old wine with a woman at her home. So I'm sorry, you're, you're wrong on that. He also smoked a cigar going through Nauvoo. If I smoked a cigar as a member of the church, walking through the streets, my bishop saw me, I wouldn't get the temple recommend, which I need to go and get my endowments, which I need to have to go live with God. So John, you're, this argument you've really lost tonight. Well, you shouldn't get your temple recommend if you do those things, Sean, because it's a measure of... Well, then why of did Joseph get one? 
Why did Joseph get a recommend? I don't think he needed one, Sean. He's the prophet. Yes! Well, keep watching. Hey, are you letting your wife watch, or are you keeping her in chains in the dungeon still? She's been listening on occasion when I'm not around. John, do you, is there anything that we're reaching you with? I mean, it, you think everything I'm saying with regard to history, the facts, all of it are lies? I do, Sean. I think you've got, I think you've got some devious motivations. I think you want to bring the church down, and you'll say and do anything to accomplish that. Wow. Well, and you, and you went to utlm.org and checked out facts? or that. Yeah, I did. I, I, I've been there. You've asked me to, and I've gone there, and I've looked at, at, at Sandra Tanner's stuff. And it didn't, none of it impressed you at all? Well, I, I think you know what I think of her. Well, what you think of her or what you think of her work? For personally, what you think of her is probably off, because you may not know her, but she's a lovely person. But her work is even more impeccable. Yeah. Well. Anyway, all right, John, uh, keep watching. And if you come up with something more substantive, please call. Work out some more, Sean. You need it. Oh. Now that's a low blow. Do you think you do you think you can outdo me like in the gym? I know I could, Sean. Yes! You're so humble, man. I love that. Well maybe you someday we can meet John and see who's the tougher guy. Alright, you name the time and place. Yeah! John's getting violent now. Alright, man. Call those Danites like you threw down on me that first time. All I want right. you to know, John, I love you. I wouldn't fight you. Uh, in old days, I might, but in this day, I love you. I wouldn't fight you. I would sit there with you and try to share Jesus with you. And that's well, what I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about fighting, Sean. You, you want to meet in the gym, and we'll see who's the bigger man. Well, you're kind of scaring me now, John. <laughs> All right, sometime if we're in the same neighborhood, we'll do it. Bye. All right, you take care. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Lo uh, Lori and Logan. Lori, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hello. Hello, Lori. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Let me get outside then. Hey, um, I wanted to talk about the word of wisdom, too. And uh, I just listened to your caller, John. And, you know, I actually walked away from two different churches in my life. Um, but I actually um, have, have spoken to missionaries in depth and have read the whole Book of Mormon and all these doctrine and covenants. And you know what? It goes back down to the simple ten. And those ten rules apply to anything. You name the transgression, it applies. And as far as the word of wisdom goes, does it not say in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not have false gods before me? So whether that may become Fritos, Cheetos, alcohol, tobacco, I have a sister-in-law who's addicted to drama. She literally picks fights with people. Um, it really could apply to anything. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I have all kinds of different comments yeah. for you tonight, but, but my prayers are with you and your viewers tonight. And you know what? I, I'm just a living testimony that if you really search for the truth, it's really out there. And, you know, I've, what I've found with, with my uh, LDS in-laws is there are two ways that we can become righteous, according to their standards. The first way is by denying, 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 denying that we've had transgressions. The second way is to blame our transgressions on somebody else, which is denying responsibility for it. And my husband and I just had this discussion. What's the worst kind of sin? Who's to say that one sin is worse than the other? Well, I just wanted to make the point tonight that the worst kind of sin is the kind that's unforgiven. And so if we're denying our transgressions and we think that we're more holy and more righteous because we have abstained from coffee or tea or whatever, um, you know, it just... 
So I suppose I could go on and on for a long time, too. But like I said, my prayers are with you, and I, and I feel better after having watched the show because your words have been on my lips for quite a while, too. So Thanks so much for your wisdom, Lori. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, there's a lot of, like, John's attitude about being in better shape than me and and uh, stuff like that. And, and there's so much, that, like we mentioned last week on the Word of Wisdom, the LDS avoid. I mean, uh, th what they eat. And I would, I would venture to guess, I could be wrong, but I would venture to guess that obesity is far uh, more prevalent within the uh, LDS community than it is within the Christian community. Uh, in fact, the Christian community, uh, they, they, I, I just would guess that. Now, that could be wrong, and you could probably might find something to prove me wrong, and I'll be, admit, I'll be willing to admit it if I am. But my obesity came from being a Mormon. If I was born a Christian, I'd be thin right now. I know it. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Okay, let's go to uh, Brad in Salt Lake City. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. God bless you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Brad. How are you? perfect picture of what the LDS will do. They will use whatever they can to justify whatever position they want to enforce, and they'll do it. Marriott goes and he turns to the Bible, which I love, and it says in all this stuff, it, it, they just use whatever they can, never contextual, and they'll pull from whatever source possible. Bill Marriott's learned from the best of them. Amen. Well, you know what? God bless you. I love the show. Hey, John, you still out there? I'm praying for you. God's going to get a hold of you, and you're going to fall in love with him. Amen. Thanks, ma'am. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Uh, had a uh, man write and says, uh, talks about... Uh, gays, and just like our last caller talked about homosexuals, and asked me in the end, do I uh, believe in gay marriage? And uh, uh, and I've always believed gays can be married, uh, just not to each other. And uh, a gay man can find a woman to marry anytime he wants. So it's a terrible thing to say, kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, but you know, uh, I just believe that marriage is for a man and a woman. I think the Bible teaches that. I think our parts fit together that way. I think life continues on that way. I think that the Bible does speak uh, directly about uh, homosexual activities. It's not like uh, just because you were born gay, uh, I would believe that in some cases. Many Christians wouldn't. I would believe that. I think you need to be born again if you are. And I, like I've said before many times, take your gay butt and get it in church and go along like everybody else who's a sinner and, and, and learn who Jesus is. You know, I take my sinful self and I go to church and I don't get hardened in my heart and say, you know, I'm cutting God off because I have sin. You know, I say I'm going to God because I have sin. And the gay community should have that very, same approach. Instead, they want to take the godless way, not all of them, some of them, and that's not productive. And the Christian church doesn't help the matter by standing out and pointing out their sin as the end-all sin. You know, come on. It, sin is sin. We've all got it. Let's just open the doors and say, come on in, and let's learn about that guy we just watched the video about, you know, him. He's the one who helps life. He's the one who helps us love. Okay, we are going to Sean 
from Salt Lake City. First time caller, Sean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Sean. Hey, um, what it is is that I'm, I'm trying to promote this um, concert that the Adventure Liberty Park Church is having. Okay, we're going to Jason. Uh, J- Jason, you're on the air. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah. What do Mormons think about people that are financially better off than them that are LDS? Like, for instance, you know, your Bill Gates, your movie stars, your sports players. Because I've been meeting some arrogant Mormons, you know, they just, you know, they think they know everything. You're like, not, not all of them, not all of them, I'm saying, are like this. But the ones I've just been meeting, like, oh, I deserve this. I should have this because I did this and I did that and I believe this. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know... It does. Do you know what I mean? Do I do. They it, should have like you know the hundred to two hundred million dollar contracts. You know what I yeah. mean, like the sports stars. Because Larry H. Miller, what do they think about him? Because he's paying more. He hurt the burn. Larry H. Miller is paying more money to the uh, those basketball players, the black ones, the so-called curse of Cain, than return missionaries. Ah, burned them. <laughs> That's a good burn, man. Hey, Jason. But, Yo. I think in answer to your question, just generally from my experience, the LDS will put uh, both feet, uh, one foot in the river and one f- foot on land on that. And so yeah. what they'll say, they look up to people who are successful in the world. Yeah, they like the ones I got around. There's this one that I know. He's a manager, but he's like an entrepreneur, but his wife works at a gas station. And he belittles me around other people that are more successful than me. He's nice when, when nobody's around. He's all, hey, how you doing? You know, yeah. you know he'll talk to me. But as soon as his little successful friends and anybody that's successful, he just ignores me. Changes and completely. Hey, yeah. uh, good call, Jason. We, uh, we're out of time. We're going to quickly go to Spanish Fork. Jody, first-time caller. Jody, you've only got a minute. Okay, what I want to know is why does, why does the LDS Church not recognize the cross in their buildings and uh, church houses and temples? It's a great question. Uh, just for all the viewers, we did a show on the cross in 2006. You can go to HOTM. Uh, .tv and watch that, but um, they believe that the cross is a, is, a, uh, is a symbol of death, and Gordon B. Hinckley said we don't uh, choose to worship the death, we choose to worship uh, the living Christ. And so uh, I believe that if you look at it historically, it's just a twist to keep Mormonism from the body of Christianity and to keep them separate and peculiar. And it's just another twist in the way they do things. And the cross, because it's embraced by the Catholics and the Christians, they thought it was pagan. And so they now do the steeple, which points man to be elevated. But, you know, I'll talk more about that next week if we can. Is that all right? Yes. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. All right, my friends, join us next week here on Heart of the Matter. We're going to continue on, and we're going to end the year. Christmas, uh, December is coming, and we're going to set a, uh, we're going to present a uh, case for the Bible for about four weeks. So uh, we'll see you then.
break my, gonna break my rusty cage.